Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you. Uh, I was so happy to uh, see the donuts here as well. <laughs> Honestly. Uh, and they're from Kamehameha Bakery. I can't get better than that. And uh, in fact, uh, uh, Susan asked me about picking those up, or, and Nathan, they were talking about it, and they asked what I thought. Sorry, I'm just getting this thing. Uh, what I thought about it, and I said, well, I thought it's a, the yeast you could do, you know? Uh, though, though, I thought it was a very holy uh, effort. You know? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you had that kind of glazed look on your eyes already. <laughs> Sorry about that. Today's. Oh. Very good. Very good. Uh, I'm actually really impressed. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I don't know what we're we talking about today. Oh, I. Now, at the table, I, I love this. Uh, I was here when Cheryl, Pastor Cheryl, introduced. Uh, the series about at the table, the table is one of my favorite pieces of uh, furniture in the house because uh, we gather around that to eat and to share and be involved. And, and just the idea about the t- table the being kind of a picture image, a reminder of the presence of God. And so we come to that, invited to that. And, you know, there's been wonderful messages about that. And today uh, we're looking at the King, of Sol- King Solomon and his life. And uh, finding what matters most, finding what matters most. That's the passage we're looking at and focus. And I want to introduce that a little bit. We'll see, we have some sharing and stuff coming up. But I just want to say, you know, um, last week I was uh, on a Alaska cruise with my family. Our grandkids had never been on a cruise. And my daughter-in-law and our son Anthony and Andrew and his kids. So five kids and uh, the three of them and me. So maybe that's six kids and them. I don't know. But... <laughs> Uh, we had a great time. We left out of Seattle, went through Alaska, got off and saw many things. But the third night, we were in Juneau, and that evening, that night, um, little Maya, she's six and a half years old. She was on the top bunk in their family room. They have a couple beds and a bunk bed. She fell off the top of the, of the top bunk. She got soaring off the side, and, you know, of course, to catch herself, she sort of put her hand down there, and she broke her arm right here in Juneau. And so Juno's bad, you know, it's not Juno's fault, but she, so, you know, on the ship, so the, so Anthony and I were out at another place, uh, and, um, they off, right offshore, just, just having a little time together. And then Michelle called, she's in, you know, she's really kind of panicked, upset. They took, uh, Maya to the, the doctor, they were on the ship and they said, oh, this is broken. You need to go to the hospital in Juno. So they got off the ship, Michelle and Maya, Anthony stayed back with the other two kids and all of us, and um, there's a lot of paperwork and all those things. Well, she was able to get to the hospital. They, the doctor had to press it back in place, you know, and it's, it's off a little bit and press it in. That, and Michelle said, oh, Maya just wailed. But after that, she had no more pain. They sent her, with the next day they got off. Or the ship had to leave that night, so they had to go to the airport and fly to um, Skagway where we were, and we picked them up there and got back on the ship. But But... Why I'm bringing all this up is, um, besides that the food was great on the cruise, was Maya. She was in a sling the whole rest of the trip. But, you know, you, you, you almost wouldn't know it. She, she was just so great. She just was herself. She was half hunched. She didn't even have to take more painkillers. And, it, it and even Michelle said, God, it's her arms like this the whole time. And yet she was just great, having fun, playing. You wouldn't know that. I almost forgot that she had that. In fact, one morning I saw her and she's, 
got paper and she's drawing. I said, what are, you, what are you drawing? And she says, oh, I'm drawing the house and the ship here and all of us. Like, it's like our new house, she called it. And I said, oh, that's really nice. It's good. You're doing really well. And she goes, yeah. Well, I'm using my left hand. I never drew with my left hand, so I'm learning how to draw. And there she was. Uh, and I, I bring that up because here it was a tragedy in a lot of ways, as you feel her. And all of us felt so bad and really concerned. And Maya just remembered what was most important. And she had fun with her cousins and her sisters and, of course, her wonderful grandpa and everybody else. <laughs> and she just reminded us, because we were kind of bothered about the crews and how they handle the, 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 you know, the details and all of that. It was a little bit less personal. And she just reminded us, set that aside, we're here together. We enjoy. And she led us in that way. And oftentimes in the worst of tragedies, you know, listen to those who remind us what's most important, because that's God speaking to us, calling us to what matters most. That's what we want to talk about today, and we'll look at Solomon. Um, you folks have done so much good in, in powerful ways that, uh, you know, I've been, Nathan and I have been friends for about 47 years, I think it is. I was two years old, he was a little older than me, and... Um, I was a youth pastor, and he came to the church. We got to know each other really well and been friends for a long time. And so he's in a most difficult, challenging season of his life. I'll let him share more about that. But one day, he wanted to come and share and thank you. You came to his house, and some of you for quite a while, for weeks, and some of you came on that Sunday and just cleaned out the house and prepared him and helped him transition to the plaza in Kaneohe, where he's at now. And so it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, okay. So anything else? <laughs> and so, no, here's the pictures. Here's Cheryl. She's having a big glass of wine. Uh, so that, that's good. You know, she was enjoying herself. And here's Nathan wondering, what did I get myself into? They're not going to put me in there, I think is what he was saying. But no, that, but you just see the house was full, Robbie. Many of you were there. And even Nathan was uh, looking for stuff he could take home and sell, I think. I'm not sure. <laughs> but it was a great time. And, and that was before, and then do we have some after, too? There's Larry and Nathan. Uh, we tried to bench them, and they walked away with it. Uh, here's, they're just cleaning up the house anymore, or is that it? Well, here's the house afterwards. And there's the dog. Maya and Daisy gave the dog a bath. And Nathan, look at that. The house is just emptied and cleaned out. And there's Nathan's mom, Helen, with Nathan. And such a beautiful gift that you gave to Nathan. And he'd like to come and share a few words of how this moved and spoke to him. In one of the worst times of his life, some powerful stuff he has to share. So I'd like to invite uh, Chaplain Nathan Kohashi to come and share a few words. So when I was given a diagnosis of, oh, hello. <laughs> when I was given a diagnosis of MSA, uh, it's a neurological disorder that uh, has no cure and basically shortens your lifespan dramatically. The possibility of dying really didn't bother me. I knew I was going to go. What I didn't expect was how fast it moved and how it dis disables in the sense of being able to walk. And that was tr kind of tricky because I couldn't pick up, I could pick up things kind of, but there's a lot of things I couldn't do. And when I did walk, I noticed I had people would be rushing to me saying, you need help? I have, uh, now I have a lot of relatives in the retail business 
they come up and they go, Uncle, you need help. Uncle, you got a dog. Uncle, you I got a lot of nieces and nephews now. The other surprise was the overwhelming response I got from all of you. All it took was accepting Susan's offer of help at Dale's birthday. And next thing I knew, she's calling and said, we're going to be there. We got the people. About 55 people came over to during the uh, course of a weekend. And we're talking about a house on an acre of ground, four bedrooms, library. Had I tried to do what I thought I was going to do it myself, I would have finished in December 2020, never. <laughs> you know, the heart and the vibrancy of a church is found in the people and the activities that you do. And I got a chance to see that firsthand. Through Susan, she hired Robbie. And I never knew how gifted Robbie was. I mean, she would come every day. Another friend uh, from outside was coming, someone named Cherie Moore, my mom's friend. She came and helped it a lot. Laura, who's we've known for each other for 40 years, Dale, Jamie, they kept checking on me, make sure I'm doing okay. It was incredible. Each of you gave from your gifting. Laura, in terms of, um, uh, not Laura, I'm sorry, Cheryl as a lawyer, thank you so much. Even I got to find out Jeremy's a good bodyguard. We went to the plaza one time, and Jerry, Jeremy was like right next to me, and like making sure I wouldn't fall. I thought, shoot. <laughs> um, other things was getting to reconnect with Larry from seminary, see him again, and see him lead the men's while they tried to figure out what the heck was he was talking about. <laughs> I got, I got a chance to see Nate. Where's Nate? Nate, Nate. I got a chance to see Nate sweat. That was pretty interesting. <laughs> but he had nothing on Robbie and Sharia. They were really. I enjoyed just connecting and talking with Dean and talking with Gordon. Even our dog benefited. Maya and Ed. Washed them, did a great job, and the neighbors jumped in and adopted them. Um, other things that I saw was that people were connecting with each other and having a great time. Uh, my friend Jamie and his son-in-law, to uh, Robbie, got a chance to clear out the shed. The women, the men are just enjoying themselves. John Fukumai set up a caroling at the plaza, so I get to see you guys sing. <laughs> Later, Laura and I went to the DMV to do a safety check because it was expired. And so was the registration for about since COVID. So I thought, oh, this is going to take forever. 
And what makes it worse was the safety check was like at 10, and afterward we were going to go to the DMV, and I'm thinking, in the middle of the day, great. So we went to the uh, safety check, 20 minutes done, but they need to meet us to go to the um, DMV, went there. You know how many people were there? Nobody. <laughs> Not only nobody, there was a volunteer there. I expected her to say, I'm sorry, we're closed. But she came and she said, how can I help you? And it was done really quickly. And I'm thinking, this never happens. <laughs> you know, it's like, there's so much outpouring of care and love from all of you. I was thinking to myself, what do I deserve to do to merit all this? There's not there's nothing. You know, to have an empty DMV. And then I heard from God, that's the point, stupid. <laughs> yeah. The act the heart and, and vibrancy of a church is found in the activities of the people. And in a new way, I found out what it means when God said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I with them. I thank you for showing me God's presence through all of the things that you have done. I just can't say enough from that. Thank you very much. Oh, by the way, if anyone knows where my remotes are, to <laughs> All three of them are missing. <laughs> so if anybody has any clue, let me know. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you uh, oh, oh, so you want those remotes back. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'll bring them by. Uh, <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you, Nathan. Good man. Uh, one of the things that you said, uh, as we, uh, after, he called me the Sunday night after, uh, or the week when I got back anyway, and he was saying that in the worst time of his life, death is fairly evident on the way, closer and sooner than imagined. He said so, and, and, and then the house, just overwhelming. And oh, I, we were over there, uh, I've been with no Nathan Long a long time, and over this last year over there quite a bit. and. Really just sitting there and said, oh, my God. And then the dog, all these things, and how the doors opened and things came. But in the worst of times uh, was also the best of times, where he saw God's presence and God's grace through you and the efforts and the things that you did and shared and the way people have cared for him. That's, that's you know, it, it talks about you, but it also talks about Nathan's heart. And that's what we're looking at today. How do we, how does God help us come with a heart to be able to see and appreciate and value and be moved by what God is doing in our midst. Because God's doing a lot all the time, and really some of it is that we're just not attuned to it. We're not as open to it as we could be. Because we're captured by all the things, oftentimes really important things, and things like his house it was overwhelming, that's all you could see. And yet in the midst of that overwhelmingness, Nathan had a heart to see God at work in very powerful and meaningful ways. And you have seen that as well. And just want to encourage you today. And this is what Solomon, I thought, I, I never really, I, I think I've spoken about him before, maybe, but I've never paid that much, that much deeper attention to Solomon. And so in this, thank you for giving me this opportunity. I hope it's helpful for you as it 
it had been for me. Um, so let us get to this. This is from First uh, Kings chapter 3, verses 3 through 15. It's in your notes there. And uh, I'll just read this, but just, let's just start the first three words. Solomon loved God. Solomon loved God. And when we love God, we're not perfect. We're not perfect in doing that and showing that, but that opens the doors for a relationship because God loves us. And what he's really looking for, and like Solomon's father was David, and it says what God said about David. Here's a man after my own heart. Now, David had his imperfections and some substantial failures, and yet God still saw what? Not just the decisions of his life, but the heart that he lived with. And so even in his failures, God could still see the heart that God gave to him and David, helping David learn to live into it and grow into that, to be aware and to be connected and related with God so he could live out his life with God and what God is doing in response to what God is doing. So God always looks at the heart. And so what, what it starts right here is that Solomon loved God. That was in Solomon's heart. He wasn't perfect, but found out later on in his life, you follow his life and stuff. But, but what God saw was his heart. And so Solomon loved God and continued to live in the God-honoring ways of David, his father, except that he also worshipped at the local shrines, offering sacrifices and burning incense. So he loved God, and he also had it in him in his background, his culture, to go to these shrines and offer, you know, um, offerings and try to connect and look, seek whatever he may be seeking, which I think is why God spoke to him in this time in such a powerful way. The king went to Gibeon the most prestigious of the local shrines to worship. He sacrificed a thousand whole burnt offerings on that altar that night. And, and that night, there in Gibeon, God appeared to Solomon in a dream. And listen to what God said to him. He didn't say, what the heck are you doing over there? He didn't, put, he didn't say, you're out, you're fired, or, uh, you know, I quit on you, or any of that kind of stuff. He spoke to Solomon, because I think what he saw that in Solomon's going out to Gibeon to offer, he loved God, but he's searching for something, for connection, for meaningful ways of relating to God and finding answers in his life, encouragement and strength and courage. We all get some of that, but where do we go for it? And that's where God came to Solomon in a dream at night and spoke to him. And look at what he said to him. I, I don't know. I, this is worth underlining. I think this is amazing. He says, oh, what can I give you? What can I give you? That's what God said to Solomon. What can I give you? I mean, that's a powerful thing. Have you ever really heard God? I'm still learning to listen and hear God say, what can I give you? What do you need? What are you looking for? What are you searching for? What really matters? And you know, if you can answer that in a moment like that, I don't think you wrestle with that question long enough. Because we spend our lives searching what we want and what we think we need, our way. But God really says, let's get down to the root of it, to the core, to what really makes a difference, what matters most in life and in your life. What can I give to you? I remember Anthony was working years ago, uh, you know, he's in the film industry in the movie, I don't know if you saw the movie Tropic Thunder years ago, uh, Robert Downey Jr. So it was hilarious. It was, yeah, anyway, it's content controversial, but it was good. He worked on that. And he was just starting in the movie industry and he got hired uh, as a, an, a, in the camera department, but he was new and young, and, and the, the director of photography, Thomas Tall, had a three or four, a two to three uh, Academy Award for directing of photography in big films. And so Anthony worked under him, and, and he came, and for the first week, they didn't even talk to him. He just worked and did what, he told, did what they told him, worked hard. It was on Kauai, and they were uh, just climbing up the mountains to put cameras all over for each day. It was a lot of hard work. He was there for a week. 
And then after one week, they finally, the director and the, his immediate team called him in and said, well, how did you get here? Who do you know? Who gave you this in to come and work here? Who, what, who's your father or mother or uncle, auntie or whatever? Because usually these guys get, get kind of in as a favor to somebody. And they don't last more than a week, is what they told Anthony. And he said, well, no, I, I, I worked on a couple of small things, and I just, I just tried, and some other people from there suggested me, and, and they hired me. I said, really? He said, wow. So, said, so I, he asked Anthony, here's this director guy, and Anthony's just starting. He said, so what do you want? Why are you here? What, what do you really want? And, uh, and in a sense, kind of asking, what can I give to you? What matters most to you? Why are you here? You're working hard. And you're not ready to quit. You're staying with it. So what do you want? And Anthony, I don't, this, you know, he's young and stuff. He said, well, I want your job. <laughs> <laughs> Which was good. He went for the gold in a way because that's really what he wanted. And so the guy said, oh, okay. They kind of laughed and looked. And he said, okay, great. He honored that. And he said, all right, tell you what, every day, we're really busy. It's, nothing gets happened. The actors don't come, nobody else, until this crew gets the cameras all set up. So there's a lot of pressure early in the morning. But he said, you come to me every day, I'll take a minute with you, and you got one question every day, and make it worthwhile. What's your big question today? And Anthony said, you know, he's telling me, I said, wow, that's great. And he said, yeah, it was great. But after about a week, man, it was panic. I didn't sleep at night because I kept thinking, I got to think of a good, worthy question every day. <laughs> and so, so, in fact, he said one day, because they work like 18 hours, he just sleeps, gets up, and goes right back. And he said one day he's driving from Lihui into their film spot. And he said, oh, my gosh, I forgot to think of a question. And he's panicking. He's trying to drive and think. And he gets there. And he came up with a question. And really, the, the director said, uh, that's your question. <laughs> he says, take a minute. Rethink this. Come up with a worthy question. And what he was doing was helping Anthony get down to what really matters, what's really important. I think that's God's heart for us. He's not satisfied with the life that we're, we're pretty good, but we tend towards complacency or towards comfort, towards safety, towards control. It's often big with many of us to make sure at least I know what I'm doing and I think so and I'm trying hard and holding on. We worry, we, let, we, we spend a lot of time with worry, understandably. Uh, discouragement, all this kind of stuff of trying to, and, or if I just can get this job or get this or get that, I'll be okay. And God says, what really matters in this? And that's what he was asking Solomon. What can I do for you? What can I give you, he says. What can I give you? And then here's that little one word after that. He says, what can I give you? And then he says, ask. Ask. He didn't say go earn it. Go prove it. Go show that you're worthy. Go uh, convince me that, that you are good enough. He, didn't, he said, ask. Ask. What really matters? Will you ask me for it? Will you let me speak into your life? That's, no, I, I don't know. I think that's pretty powerful. Do you, do you, does that move you? Does that challenge you, get you thinking? And you think, well, I think I know I'm okay. And God says, no, there's more to you. Because when you are beginning to ask, ask God, what can he give to you? And, as, and, and you're thinking about asking that. He's really actually inviting us to rely on him and the work of the Holy Spirit to decide how, how he really made us. Because he put in us what matters most about how to really live in this life. And we have passions and moving things that move us that are really important to listen to and pay attention to and to begin to live into as that's most important. Now sure, having providing for families and and working and you know taking care of ourselves are all really important. 
and then getting down to, but why? Why? What really matters in the dime and this life that I have? That's what he's asking of us. He says, I want you to find out. I could tell you, but better you go search it out. You have to sort through where you're stuck and where you're kind of leveled off at and go deeper to what, what you really got to live up for and live about, be about. And ask, ask me. I mean, imagine that. I said, you can ask anything. One good question every day. <laughs> why am I here? Well, wow, God, why, why, how do I make the most of this time that I have? Okay, we got to the first five verses of the past. So I'll, I'll continue on. Here we go. Solomon said, and listen to this. Listen to Solomon's response. Solomon said, you were extravagantly, extravagantly generous in love with, my, with, with David, my father, and he lived faithfully in your presence. His relationships were just, and his heart was right. This is what Solomon is describing his father. And this is why God said, this is a person after my own heart, David. And, and Solomon saw this. He saw God's extravagant, generous love, and he saw David receiving and living into that. Not perfect in his life, but with that heart. And you have persisted in this great and generous love, <laughs> this is great. You have persisted in this great and generous love by giving him, and this very day, a son to sit on the throne. <laughs> I'm, I'm your gift to my dad. <laughs> well, what he did say, is, what he was saying is that, yeah, you, you blessed my, my father with someone to pass the throne onto and to follow God's lead and caring for God's people. Having a king wasn't God's idea of how to lead his people, but that they were insisting, so he worked with that. And it was really tumultuous. There's ups and downs, some of the worst people, leaders, and some, some good ones. David was one of the best. But here Solomon felt this, this connection, this history, this belonging. And mainly he saw this generous love of God working in his father's life and in his life. And now, here I am, God. My God, you made me, you have made me your servant, ruler of the kingdom in place of David, my father. I am too young for this, a mere child. I don't know the ropes, hardly know the ins and outs of this job. And here I am, set down in the middle of the people you've chosen, a great people, far too many to ever count. Here's, here's Solomon coming to just real honestly with God about who he is. And he's scared spitless, spitless, I'm saying, uh, just, I, I mumble sometimes. I want to make sure. I'm not cussing here at all. Spitless. I should say something else altogether, I suppose. Anyway, he's just being, man, I, this is way over my capacity. He was honest about who he was. And God said, okay, you're out. Let's find somebody else. No. And God says to him, and he says, uh, here's what I want, God. Give me a good, a God-listening heart so that I can lead your people, discerning the difference between good and evil, for who on their own is capable of leading your glorious people? Of all the things he could ask, what mattered most, he could have asked for lots of things, and God will get to this. He could have asked for any kind of stuff, and what he asked was a God-listening heart to lead and serve your people well, to be useful in this world for your glory, for your sake, your way with your heart. When it comes down to it, that's what matters most. And when God asks us, what can I give to you? Ask. Get past the initial things. Look at them and say, why is that important? Why is that important? Get down to what really matters with my life in the time that I have. And man, I wrestled with this for a long, long time. Even as being a pastor, I love being a pastor. And, and I love serving you and growing with you. And yet, really, deep down, I, I, the greater experience is when I could just be with people and listen and connect 
and hear their stories and be able to find God speak in a way that beyond me oftentimes of words that brought them closer to God and connected in a way. And, and you know, I, I've always loved sharing the stories. There's so many stories even in this trip, but I'll save those for another time or something of people we met. And, it, and it's just amazing to me the doors God opens where there can be a powerful time when listening that God somehow uses me that way. And that, that's become more and more of my, if, give me capacity to listen to you, God, to listen to people and to be able to be involved and be present with you in people's lives that, that changes people, that helps people, that ministers, that serves, that heals, that lifts them, helps them find their way. And really, frankly, it, it, it's much easier when letting, working with God than trying to make that happen. Because that, to me, is what he's put on my heart, what matters most. I'm still finding my way into that. So God, the master, was delighted with Solomon's response. And God said to him, because you have asked for this and haven't grasped at a long life or riches or the doom of your enemies, but you have asked for the ability to lead and govern well, I'll give you what you've asked for. I'm giving you a wise and mature heart. And there's, been, there's never been one like you before, and there never will be one after. He said, I, I like what you're asking. You, you, you went for the goal. You went for what's most important. You'd spoke of that. You'd got right to it. What really matters in the long run. And all the things he listed, having power, having wealth, having even overthrow, uh, you know, destroy his enemies. That was the usual and kind of the pressure as a king to be that kind of a leader. And we have a lot of pressure that wants to shape who we are and how we are, what you should be doing in life. And God says, what? what? Ask me what you want. Just ask. Because I'm listening to what you're, at what level you've gotten down to what matters most. And I want to help you. I'll keep asking until you get down to the core of what I put in you for you to discover and to begin to take hold of and live out in this world. And so as a bonus... I'm giving you both the wealth and glory you didn't ask for. There's, there's not a king anywhere who will come up to your mark. And if you stay on course, keeping your eye on the life map and the God signs as your father David did, I'll also give you a long life. You know, you know God didn't spend any time on. And by the way, I'll destroy those guys you don't like so well. He didn't do that. Because <laughs> God's about saving people. Anything God deep down put in us to be about, it'll always be about saving people, helping people. Loving people. His compassion for this world, for every single person. I was at the bank the other day, just settling some paperwork with our house and all that kind of stuff. A new person there, and, and uh, she's a personal loan person. She's kind of new, and she's from the Mississippi, and we start talking a little bit, and she kind of around to ask, you know, about what I do and stuff. And, and uh, I said, uh, well, I'm a pastor that's um, semi-retired or whatever you want to call it, you know. Uh, find my way. And, and so she said, well, what do you think about this Israel-Palestine thing? And I said, well, I mean, you know, and she started getting that. What side are you on? And don't you think, you know, biblically, what does it say? Who should we be for? And I, and I, and I you know, I'm there in that moment, I'm listening to her. And, you know, we, we're drawn towards sides and power and right and who's wrong and who, who deserves and that. And I said, I, actually, I, I'm for everyone. I think God is too. I said, I, 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 it's a complicated historical challenge, but I know God cares about every single person, and God's always about compassion for everyone. Sorting out all of those, those complicated things, I don't know. And, and I said, but I do know God cares for everyone, and he doesn't take sides for and against. He takes sides for everyone. I said, I, I, that's, that's how I see it. She goes, oh, yeah, you know, my mom told me, yeah, you know, Jesus wants 
cares and loves everyone. And, you know, we, she says, yeah, I, I kind of come from a pretty conservative background that wants to find a side. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's for? And in that issue, it's pretty complicated. But she goes, yeah, that's true. Oh, Jesus is for everyone. And I, I, was, I wasn't there. For, uh, I mean, you know, that just these, these conversations come up, but this is what I love. Just being present and listening. And people ask when you're listening, and they give an opportunity to speak into their lives. And she says, that's really true. Jesus came for all of us. He died for everyone. She's saying this. I said, so we got up. We sang a few worship songs right there in the bank. And <laughs> that was pretty fascinating. <laughs> anyway, no, we didn't. <laughs> but she goes, yeah, no. And it's just like she, she, you know, it was just this powerful time of God speaking to her in her heart. So Solomon uh, uh, says, I'll give you a long line. So Solomon woke up. What a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, took his place before the chest of the covenant of God. He kind of honed back into his worship of God that he knew. And now they, had, they didn't have a place, but he knew where to go for that. And worship by sacrificing whole burnt offerings and peace offerings to God, now the Father. And then I love this. Then he laid out a banquet for everyone in his service. He just laid, made a big feast. And, doesn't that sound like our heart? And, you know, and, and maybe there are some donuts there probably too, but what else? So here's, here's the notes. We'll kind of go through this uh, a little briefly. Um, well, briefly for me, anyway. Um, so here's a few things I've been thinking a lot about. So God appeared to Solomon in a dream. God said, what can I give you? Ask. At the table of God's presence, when we, to come into God's presence and wherever that might be, we can find to just with our hearts to be in God's presence. I find what matters most by number one, Following Solomon's kind of guidelines says, revealing what is weighing most of my heart, revealing to God. This is what's weighing on my heart. Because if you can't, if we don't acknowledge it, it just keeps riding and leading our lives and we kind of hold it privately. Well, I'll take care of this. Now, God, can you bless this or change this or do something or I'll try to keep doing Bible study or going to church or serving. But what's weighing on our heart? For, for Solomon, it was, man, he felt totally inadequate for the responsibilities of the people that God was entrusting to as a king. And he knew it was with God, but he just said, I'm not adequate for this. And many of us come to the places with our sons, our daughters, our husbands, wives, our people we work with, the situations in our lives, with our finances, uh, whatever we're up against. They're weighing on us, sometimes just who we are. And God says, I hear you. Let's re reveal this. Let me know. Bring it to me. When I'm asking you, what are you asking of me? I'm really asking, what are you living with? And what do you hope for? What have I put in you? And we can't get to that when we're weighed down so much. Our minds are so full of the things that, that weigh upon us. And you can't go through this life without having a lot weighing upon you. If you're really open and you really care and you're really honest about our lives. He's calling for an honesty and an openness. Why? Because what Solomon knew, we know, is that God really loves us with a generosity of love and care. And how we show our love with God and to God is one, is just being honest about who we are, what we're carrying in our minds and in our hearts. Uh, you know, the concerns and the things and the things that's driving us, the voices of our past that keep feeling like we have to prove our worthiness and correctness or uh, condition, uh, love, uh, that we're lovable even, and all that. God says, mistakes and things of your past, he said, share it with me. Really, release it to me so I can, we can go deeper into who you really are. Because if those things are hard and difficult and painful, understandably, he said, I hear you, I'm with you. 
And some of them are so scary, they block us right there. We can't get deeper into who God made us to be because we're stuck at where, where, what we're holding on privately. That we think no one would understand. It would be shame if we shared this. And God said, hey, that's how I help you. Let it go. Solomon knew this. He shared that. He said, now here I am, God. But, you know, I've read that. When we know we are loved, when we know we are loved, we are free. Free to be real, to be honest, to be genuine. Because no longer what's at stake is if we're acceptable. God already settled that for us. Long history of that. He says he, he did that. So not just to make us correct, but to make us whole, make us real. To help us find how he really made us, what he made us for in this world. And it's always for good. We just haven't fully got there yet. But that's where he's leading us. Facing our doubts, our concerns, our struggles, our weaknesses... Helps us look to God for his support, for his guidance, for his healing, for his release, for his strength. And bring it to him. That's what he's saying. That's what Solomon did. What, are, what matters most for our lives will bring us to our own limits and bring us closer to God's capacity to help. So when we come to welcome God's capacity to live in our, in, into his purpose for our lives, he begins to move in us. By bringing our honesty to God, releases us to rely on God. The less honest we are with, with ourselves about, with God, the less we're allowing him to really work and move with us and help us. We're, we're trying too hard to do it on our own. And Solomon said, I can't do this on my own. He was right. He was correct, 100%. God knew that. He's helping, waiting for Solomon to come to that himself. So here's a question. I can ponder here, and I hope you take this home, and this is helpful through your week if you take some time to... Be present with God at the table at your own home. Is what concerns or fear, struggle, lostness takes up my attention at this time? What is this taking up so much my attention? And I felt that at times, and a lot of times, and some things it's just it's there. I mean, just can't hardly think around it. Of course, situations with my sons or our family or my own self and people I know and. There's a lot going on. What's happening in, in Israel, the, all of that, you know, all these things take up our mind and heart. You know, from the very deeply personal to, to this world we live in, of course, the shootings and recently, I mean, you know, it's just heartbreaking. And God says, yeah, I, I'm, that's, that's, I hear you, I'm with you. So what is it that's taking up our attention? Can I honestly bring that to God? That's all he asks, bring it to me, bring it, share, let me know. That's the question for you to think about this week. Give you a moment. <clears throat> At the table of God's presence, I find what matters most by number two, asking for what matters most in my heart to live the most, to begin to discover what really matters the most so that I can live the most, make the most of this life. I've shared with you some, and you know, around last, it's just about coming up next week will be one year. I had my heart attack out in uh, the, the ocean, out on the way to Flat Island in Kailua. And I, you know, so I'm, I'm really good. I'm, I'm well. Uh, they said, your heart's fine. I, they just did a CAT scan recently on my brain. They said, we're a little concerned there. It seems fairly empty. There's a lot of echoing going on. I said, well, yeah. uh, that, that's, that's been a life. Um, Anyway, sorry, sidetracked. But I, I'm, I'm really good. I'm healthy, amazingly, probably the healthiest I've been in my life. Thank God for those heart attacks, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, no, I've been, you know, um, excited and all that. Anyway, 
But what really struck me was about that when I was out there, quite a ways away, out in the middle of the ocean, is I couldn't breathe. I thought I was suffocating. I didn't think I was going to make it, and honestly. And you know, I didn't feel a panic. I, and it kind of solidified something that God had been saying to me. It's like, you know, dying, and Nathan reminded me of this, dying's not the worst thing. Not living, that's the worst thing. In the time that we have, what matters most? And it wasn't that I came back to shore and it was just, okay, changed my whole life from what it was to um, what it should be. But it did sharpen and clarify and affirm and convince me to live as best that I can in my own messy, flawed way. Make the most of the days of life that I have. And I'm still learning to hone towards that and find that and discover that. But God's changing me and shaping me. He's encouraging me on the way as I keep pursuing what matters most, how he made me. And I, 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 for a long time, I felt early on in my ministry, especially, I, I actually told God. I, I was in a little more formal traditions of Christian church at that time. And so I knew Paul and them back at KEC. I thought, and, and the pastors at that time, this was, you know, I don't know, probably 50 years ago or something, I guess, yeah. I was two years old, and I was thinking, no, I, I remember seeing, I, I felt called to be a, a pastor shepherd, sort of, but I, most of the other pastors, they were really smart, they were kind of um, formal, and uh, I felt many of them were little, you know, you didn't know, they, 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 they didn't have a lot of humor, a lot of them, I knew at that time, you know, and, and I thought, you know, I'm kind of a, you might not know this, I goof around once in a while, you know, a screwball, anyway, but uh, I just thought, I, and, and, you know, they just didn't seem that warm and passionate about people. I know they loved God, and that was and very educated, very thoughtful, none of which I'm known for. But anyway, I said, God, I, I, I just don't see it. I, I, I don't, I'm not a pastor like them, you know. And really very, well, you know, I felt like Solomon. Maybe that's why I relate to it. And he said, I'm not asking you to be like them. I'm just asking you to be you, who I made you to be. Now go serve in this capacity. And I, I would say, um, I've loved that. And being at Wellspring, you, you really uh, loved me and gave me a chance to grow and, come and just be who God made me to be and serve you in that way. And you continue to do that and support that. And I'm still learning. But it was those mo moments of, what, 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 is, who, what matters most? How did God make me? You know, and sometimes we run with it, but do we really think down why? How is God using how he made you? to make an impact in this world. And, and it's really, you can't model that after everybody else. I mean, the problem in the Christian church sometimes is we, somebody has a successful ministry, so they teach it, everybody tries to live like somebody else. And it's good stuff, but really should be more that inspires us to figure out how do I live into that creatively instead of trying to replicate anybody, recreate out of who you are. Uh, okay. Anyway, yeah, so. <laughs> So, but you can't know that unless you, you, you have some sense of what matters most to you, what really moves you, what draws you, what leads you, what stirs in you about this is important. Not every, you might not find everybody agreeing with that. We were on a train in Seattle running from our hotel down to Pike's Market. We had a free day and this lady comes in on a walker and she had a big coat on and she was a big lady. And she had, a, she had some chicken in her hand and she comes on and sits across the place from us. Here's me and the, and Michelle and the girls and Anthony and, and so she comes in, you know, you weren't sure. She's kind of uh, imposing figure at some point, sat right across from us and she, she's sitting there and then she starts talking, says hello. And, and the more she talks, you wonder, oh, where's, where's this going? It just got friendlier and friendlier, more open. She's asking about what we're doing, we're go what we're getting off Pike Market. She goes, yeah, me too. Or, you know, this stop for that. 
and she's going, and then she's asking about the family, and we're, well, we've got a day there. Are you staying? I said, no, we're going on a cruise. Oh, where are you going? And she's asking really good questions and we're responding. And at first, you could just feel Michelle and Anthony kind of grabbing, you know, pulling in close to the kids. Uh oh, what's coming? And, and then they started opening up as she talked, and, and I just was asking more questions and found out, actually, she's going there because she used to live on the streets. She was homeless. As she's eating her chicken, I thought, it looked like good chicken. I was tempted to ask her, where'd you get that? That looks really good, but I didn't. But I stayed in focus and just listening to her, and she has a ministry now because God spoke to her when he saved her and rescued her. She has a heart for the people who are lost and broken. That's that, and she goes, I'm just giving my life to that. It was beautiful, beautiful. She, she knew something about what matters most for her life. And, and we're listening and talking. She's asking about us. I, and, you know, um, finished, our, got off our stop. And I just felt moved. I, I, I reached in and pulled out some money to give to her. And I said, this is for you and your ministry and like whatever you want, you know. And, and, and she went and she was, oh, thank you. Bless you. I'm going to buy some food for some people today. And this will really help and stuff. And I said, oh, whatever you feel. I just, it was a beautiful moment, Anthony, after, for a moment, he kind of teased me, he said, oh, Dad, thanks for giving our life story to this complete stranger on the train, you know. I said, all right, whatever. I'm doing what God made me to do. And I said, take it up with him. And he said, no, we're just, he's just joking. He said, no, actually, it was quite touching, quite moving. I, I've known you long, all my life, Dad. <laughs> but I haven't been with you out in the, in the wilds of the street for a while. And Michelle said, yeah, you know. He, and what Anthony said, you never made it about you. She didn't even know you were a pastor. You never made it about that. You just listened to her. You engaged with her. And Michelle said, yeah, you asked such great questions. And you, you were there, right present. In this rail thing, we're running across. And I, I, I don't take that as, you know, I just felt it was really touching and encouraging simply to be who God made me to be. Live into it as best I know how. Best as you know how. Everyone wants different. Nobody's exactly like me at all. Thank God for that. And there's, I think there's only room for one wild Dale in this world. But you folks are beautiful. And the way I saw, I was so moved when Nathan talked about how touched he was by each of you. And I know he'd like to go down the whole list. But we were talking the other night, and he was sharing that when I got back. And I said, wait a minute. I thought it was next week. I, I was on vacation. <laughs> Planned that pretty well. Um, but the way he talked about how moved he was and how you in your own ways gave different gifts and lived out who you are I was brought to praise of God and so grateful for you and Nathan was I was really moved by what he saw and what it took into his heart of what God was doing and that's Nathan's gift that's how Nathan's made that's why he's such a great chaplain great person he's he's a man of great wisdom uh, he's a real wise guy yeah, yeah in the best sense of the word that's how he's gifted and how he's made up. And you, and you each have that. So asking what for what matters most in my heart to live the most, that's something to wrestle with and think through. So I leave you this question. What would you ask of God to live the most meaningful life with God? What would you ask him? If you try to think, God, what, what would help me live the most meaningful life? Uh, what would you ask of him? Help me do what? Show me how. This is what I think. And then let him keep working with us. And the Holy Spirit will keep refining that in greater and greater ways. And I encourage you to take some time this week, this month, this year. I've been thinking this question probably for multiple years through my life. And I find God keeps 
going a little deeper, a little deeper, affirming and encouraging on the way. There's this great book, The Alchemist by Apollo Coelho. I, I love, I've read it probably 10 years, and I, 10 times. I think we've even did a six-week study on that here at Wellspring some time back. And in there, there's a line. Uh, it's about a young man trying to find his purpose in life and goes on this journey searching. And, and then there's a, he meets this king that has great wisdom, and he says, when we're pursuing our personal legend, they call it in the book, or our vision, our purpose, who, what really matters most, they use the language, the universe conspires to encourage us. And I, I just that when we're really searching for what matters most, God will always, always work to encourage, to guide, and to nurture. Now, we'll have great, when we're really pursuing what matters most, we'll be challenged with the great challenges and discouragements and feel like giving up. And that's the time to press through because that's refining us, because God's encouraging us to find our way. When it seems like the worst of life, God will bring encouragement to find the best of who he made us to be. Nathan reminded me of that. So what would you ask of God to live the most meaningful life with God? If you could ask anything, why not? Why not try? Because he loves you. You don't have to worry about that. He won't be offended. He may say, really, that's your, that's your request? Okay, let's think about this a little more. Let me help you go a little deeper. Okay, I'm going to number three now. At the, t the last one. Or wait, well, I guess I got six here. No, this one. <laughs> I love being here with you. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I, I think they figured it out about every two or three months is about enough. Gotcha. <laughs> At the table of God's presence, I find what matters most by number three, sharing most widely what God has given most deeply in my heart. Whatever uh, is deepest in our heart, God put it there for it to be poured out most widely. And when it's authentic and genuine, we've gotten to it, you'll be amazed how it'll spread out into this world to people beyond what you imagine, knowing, being involved with, connecting with, or helping. But, but, you know, we can, we can see the need and rush to it, and that's, that's not so bad because there's something that's stirring in us to respond to some need. But in this process of maturing and growing in wisdom and understanding of God, he's saying, take some time to really sort. Let's go th deeper. Because the deeper you go, the more profoundly powerful you'll have in a broader sense in this world. Oftentimes the church seems kind of caught up just with itself and the things here, and and there's a deep, profound thing for me about the church being a nurturing to whole health so that we can go broader out into the world to bring the good news, the good way, the good love, compassion of Jesus Christ into more and more people's lives in deeply personal ways. So it's both in. But if we don't go deeper, we'll get, we'll get burned out just trying to, just to address the needs of the world because God has made us specifically and wants to empower us in the ways that are moving in us, there's something about what moves you that doesn't move everybody. But others will be blessed by and be encouraged and inspired by. Well, we've got to own that, each of us. It's kind of individual, and then it's done in community. It's both in, and it's done in the world. So sharing most widely what God has given most deeply in my heart. So Solomon woke up. What a dream. He returned to uh, Jerusalem, he worshiped, and then he laid out a banquet, a big feast for everyone that he knew and in his service around him of people. And I love that. Whatever God moves in our hearts, but most deeply in our hearts, will go widest to 
the widest circle of people in this world that we beyond what we can imagine. But it starts with if, if we're stepping over people right near us because we think we only because uh, of those out farther than us, it's on the way. It's all on the way. Everybody matters to God. How we are with everybody matters to God because he's looking for people who are learning to have a heart after his own heart. In his own heart, there's no exceptions. Everyone matters. How we are with everybody matters. Uh, he'll be amazed. Well, God will open up opportunities. And I mean, when Susan got hold of uh, and, and, and Laura and some others about Nathan's situation, um, man, that was their heart and gift. And look, it just opened up to stuff that, you know, even the dog, uh, for months we've been talking about Nathan moving to the plaza and the big holdup was what to do about the dog. And, and some had other situations, but I was praying about that. I, you know, the dog and what to do, how, you know, that really meant a lot to him and his mom and that the dog be well taken care of. And then one Sunday, Nathan calls me, says, praise God, out of the blue, a neighbor said, I'll, I'll, this was a couple months ago, said, I'll, 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 I'd like to take the dog home, or a month or two ago. Anyway, I don't know, some time ago, before this even house cleaning took place, but some while ago, it was like, there it was. God was encouraging. Nathan was ready to get in making some transition. And that was one big hole of And I understood that. You know, I could only, we could only talk so much about moving, but the dog had to be taken care of. Um, and, and so here a neighbor offered to take the dog in. The dog's 14, 15 years old. 15, I think. Uh, 17. Okay. I, see, I always go lower about ages. <laughs> and it, it's pretty much hard to see and hard to hear. And, and not, not every, I, in fact, I was talking to another friend who adopts dogs and stuff, said, that's a tough one. And then here this neighbor comes and offers. The door opened suddenly. That set, that was a great encouragement to Nathan. He said, God's working. So then when the birthday came, he was ready, uh, more or less. Um, not, not a big, not an easy thing to transition in his life so much. But there, there it was. I remember being so moved by that because I said, God, I don't see how we could do this, you know, and, uh, the dog. So I was about ready to pick it up and drop it off at Susan and Pat's house and just, you know, <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. God has an amazing way. Um, and, and what he asks is that if we go deeper to how he made us, who he made us to be, what, what moves us, that's a healing and a searching and understanding that's compelled by the love of God, the generous, extravagant love of God that frees us from resistance and complacency and hesitation. Begin to a, a continuous, ongoing journey. We go deeper there, we'll go wider to the world. Wider to the world. I believe that. As many people say, oh, well, churches are just too self-absorbed, and, and that may be true in some ways. Because I think we, 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 we kind of can tend to start getting protective about who we are. But when we're really following God's way, we, we grow deeper so that we go wider, more meaningfully and more genuinely. We start having compassion for everyone. And instead of insisting on how things should be, we start loving into how God is working for what the world can be in the face of great challenges. So how will you generously and compassionately share with with each person you meet, what God has given to you. Start with every person you meet. Every person. If you start making exceptions, you're limiting what God is doing in you and can do through you. Every person matters. Not easy. Some people are delightful. Some are um, difficult. Hey, there you go. But doesn't mean they're meant to be loved any less, right? So, so, okay. 
I'm going to end here. That's all right. Oh, Nathan's saying go on. Uh, should I? I'm kidding. Can I just pray with you for a moment? We come to you to praise you and thank you for your extravagantly generous love, God. We love you. We want to know you. We want to be honest with you. We want to ask what we can ask of how you can work in our lives more deeply and more freely. We want to share what you are, how you made us and what you are doing in our lives and what you want to continue doing. Help us to be free of what holds us back, what we fear, how we're complacent or guarded. Heal our wounds and our resistance. Release us of our sense of having to have control in order to be led in meaningful ways by you. Thank you for this wonderful family here and beautiful people and great hearts that love you. Thank you for being, I'm, I'm so grateful for the, to them to be my family. Thank you for this world we live in with all its challenges. You've given us purposeful reasons to be here. Help us to live into that with you, with all our heart. Come, Lord Jesus, in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.